say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, Morbidology listeners. Before we get on with today's episode, could I please request that you don't judge Morbidology on the early episodes? I'd recommend maybe listening from the newer ones backwards, because I honestly didn't find my feet in podcasting for quite some time. The quality of the early episodes, as well as the hosting, is not a true representation of Morbidology today, and I'm currently in the process of redoing them all. If you do listen to the earlier episodes, please don't judge the show on them, and maybe give a newer one a listen before deciding if the show is for you. Thank you so much for all of your support, and now on with the show. Welcome to Morbidology, the podcast. I'm your host, Emily G. Thompson, author of Unsolved Child Murders and co-author of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Cases Uncovered. It's estimated that approximately 74% of children who are abducted and murdered are murdered within just three hours of the abduction. Therefore, it truly is paramount that when a child goes missing, they should be reported missing as soon as possible. When 11-year-old Levi Frady disappeared, his mother didn't report him missing until the next day. But that's not to say that the outcome of this horrendous tragedy would have been any different if she had have acted sooner. 11-year-old Levi lived in Burris Mill Road in Cumming, Georgia with his twin sister Lacey and their mother Marilyn Parkman. The twins' father, Milton Frady, met Marilyn through their work in 1980. Milton worked as a carpenter and Marilyn worked in the customer service department of an air conditioning company. Sadly, the marriage didn't work out and the couple divorced just two years after the twins were born and Marilyn was granted full custody. The neighbourhood the Frady family lived in was the type of place where flags fluttered outside homes and the lawns were always well manicured. Levi and his sister were both sixth graders at North Forsyth School. 
and personality-wise, they couldn't have been more far apart. Lacey was giddy and she loved school, while Levi was shy and much preferred to be outside. Typically, Levi could be spotting riding his bike around the neighbourhood and exploring the acres of woodland in his hometown, armed with a BB gun. While Levi wasn't the perfect student and didn't achieve amazing grades, he was kind-hearted and had a keen interest in music. In fact, he could play Ode to Joy on the piano, which was taught to him by his grandmother. Lacey and Levi were terrifically close, as most twins are. Lacey would always joke around that she was Levi's big sister, being born just one minute before him. Most afternoons after finishing school, Levi could be spotted playing softball with a number of his many friends. On the 22nd of October 1997, Levi jumped on his red bike to ride to his friend's house at around 4.15pm. His friend, Roman Martinez, lived approximately one mile away from Levi. Levi and Roman had intended on working together on their homework, something that they did quite often. Levi had promised his mother that he would be home for dinner at around 6.30pm, but as his curfew came and went, Levi was still not home. Assuming he was quite simply still at his friend's house and had lost track of time, Marilyn got into her car and drove over to Roman's house. She knocked on the door and explained to Roman's mother that Levi was expected home. Mrs. Martinez told Marilyn that Levi had left earlier on in the evening to go to another friend's house for dinner. However, that other friend confirmed that Levi had never shown up. Roman told Marilyn that Levi had tried to call home to tell her that he was going to another friend's house for dinner, but when he called, Marilyn was in the bath. Marilyn and Lacey decided that they would mount their own search for Levi, assuming that he had probably bumped into some of his friends on the way home and got sidetracked. Levi was a very popular boy, after all. As Lacey was walking along Little Mill Road, which was approximately one mile from their home, she spotted Levi's discarded red bike in a ditch just off the side of the road. Little Mill Road was a relatively secluded road and would have been pitch black as Levi cycled from Roman's house. Roman would later say that Levi was afraid of the dark and didn't particularly want to cycle down this route, but the alternative route had a house with some unfriendly dogs that would bark and growl whenever somebody walked past. Levi decided that he would avoid the dogs that evening and opted for the longer and darker route. It was in a, an area that uh, you couldn't see from any homes. Um, next to a driveway, there's a creek. Um, but it was one of those areas where none of the neighbors, if anything would have happened right there, none of the neighbors would have been able to see it. For whatever reason, Marilyn just assumed that Levi was staying overnight with friends and dozed off to sleep when she arrived back home. This was a decision that Marilyn would come to regret forever. It wasn't until around 8.30am the following morning that she reported her son missing. A search team consisting of 100 police officers and local volunteers ensued, combing miles upon miles. They mainly focused on the area that Levi's bike was found, trudging through Four Mile Creek, which zigzags through Little Mill Road, and searching the dense underbrush surrounding the area. Lacey told a number of the reporters that had gathered that Levi had certainly stayed out later than he was allowed to in the past, but had never disappeared for this long. The sign stands just off US Highway 19. 
about 60 miles north of Marietta. From that point, it directs traffic down the access road to Air Force Plant 67, operated for the United States Air Force by Lockheed Georgia Division. Not too many months ago, this 11,000-acre site at Dawsonville was only an expanse of wooded hills. Then the bulldozers moved in. They came, did their jobs, and moved on. And behind them, buildings began to grow, structures designed to house the complex instruments of nuclear science. Dawson Forest Wildlife Management Area is a 10,130-acre wooded area just off Highway 9 in Dawsonville, approximately 15 miles from Cumming, where the Frady family lived. It was once used as a testing facility for the Lockheed Martin Cooperation. After being purchased from Lockheed by the city of Atlanta in 1971, it became a widely popular hiking area and horse riding area for the locals. The forest is mostly composed of pine trees with several creeks and rivers meandering through. Despite radiation fears from the woodland once being used to test the effects of ionising radiation, the forest was still an extremely scenic area, boasting of a bountiful supply of wild game. At around 2.30pm on Thursday the 23rd of October 1997, two deer hunters, Larry Kelly and James Davis, were stalking their prey while deep in Dawson Forest Wildlife Management Area. It was the first day of the year that hunters were granted permission to use firearms in Dawson Forest Wildlife Management Area and they had anticipated on having a fruitful hunt. They had parked their car along a dirt road just southwest of Dawsonville and had walked about a mile into the forest when they came across a horrific scene near the Etowa River. Nestled deep among the towering trees of Dawson Forest Wildlife Management Area, Lying face up and semi-submerged in a rain-filled pit was the bloody body of a young boy. He was wearing brand new Nike sneakers, black jeans and a white t-shirt which had been ripped open to expose his chest. It was evident that the young boy had been shot dead and this was no hunting accident. Investigators taped off the surrounding area while a White Georgia Bureau of Investigation truck arrived at the scene to transport the body for an autopsy and identification. However, as soon as word that a body had been discovered got out in the media, people quickly began to assume that it was Levi. Since he was only reported missing that morning, police and volunteers had only been searching for him for around six hours. It seemed likely that the body belonged to Levi and Carlene Chalker, a spokeswoman for the Forsyth Sheriff's Office, told reporters that they were 99.9% .9 sure that this is the body of the boy we've been looking for. Sadly, she was correct. Levi hadn't been out gallivanting with his friends. Levi was dead. Around 20 feet away from the spot that Levi's body was found was a large puddle of blood. It appeared as though there had been a violent struggle with Levi being shot twice in the chest and then shot in the head before being dragged to the pit where he was found. Discarded nearby was Levi's book bag, which contained the homework he had completed while at Roman's house. 
Now, the question as to whether or not Levi was sexually assaulted has long been debated. It was publicly announced that he hadn't. However, a friend close to his family later said that they had a friend working in the funeral home where Levi's body was taken. And according to this friend, Levi had been sexually assaulted and mutilated. Quote, She told me his genitals had been messed up real bad, end quote, said the source. This was staunchly denied by law officials, however, who said, quote, I was there when they did the autopsy. He was not sexually molested. There was no DNA in his anus or his underwear or clothing, end quote. Levi's autopsy report was never publicly released, so whether or not he was sexually assaulted truly is a mystery. One theory was that Levi's killer had intended on molesting him, but when he fought back, he killed him. This is where he's found, but he's not killed here. He's killed about 25, 30 yards that way. And then he was killed there and then drug here. And that's where the body was placed. He drug over the top of that log and then in, into the water. What does this area tell you? What questions does it raise? That it, that it almost seems implausible that that someone who wouldn't be familiar with the area would take would be comfortable traveling this deep into the woods at the risk of bumping into countless potential witnesses. And it's a long way off that main road on Route 9, all the way back here you know, to, to where we're standing, Vinny, in pitch black darkness. Residents of the safe and quaint community were categorically shaken by the violent murder. In a town where children once roamed free, they were now forbidden from going anywhere unattended. Children were no longer allowed to cycle alone to their friend's home, nor were they allowed to play in the popular Bennett Park. Halloween was fast approaching, and now parents of coming and the neighbouring cities and towns were too afraid to let their children go trick-or-treating. On the Friday after Levi's body was found, Marilyn and her grandmother, Burma Gibson, picked out a small brown casket for Levi to be buried in. Levi and Lacey had spent much of their time at their great-grandmother's home and she couldn't comprehend how or why this had happened. Just the week before, the twins were at her house and Levi purchased a pumpkin from her neighbour for them to carve in time for Halloween. Approximately 500 mourners packed into the Ingram Funeral Home on the 26th of October to pay their last respects to Levi. Reverend David Harris read out a short eulogy that announced that Levi was in heaven and that his family would see him again one day. A number of Levi's school friends were in attendance and they looked oddly out of place in a funeral home. One friend was Jeremy DeFore, who fondly recollected, quote, He loved his bicycle, he really did, and he was a real adventurous type, he'd check out anything, end quote. Considering the funeral home only seated 250, the other half stood in the foyer and crowded around the small building. The overcast and dreary weather just added to the misery that was emanating from the mourners. According to Dawson County Sheriff Billy Carlisle, everybody was a suspect in the murder and that included Levi's family members. One person investigators wanted to track down was Levi's father, Milton, 
who had an outstanding warrant for his arrest for a 1994 burglary charge. Sheriff Carlisle publicly announced, quote, Statistics show that the victim usually knows who the perpetrator is, end quote, adding that they didn't consider Milton a suspect, but wanted to question him in relation nevertheless. Investigators had expected to see Milton at Levi's funeral, but he was not in attendance. Milton's mother, Sarah Frady, said that he was afraid that police would try and pin the murder on him, adding that he loved his children and even though he did not have custody, he still visited them very often. The family are almost always the first to be questioned when a child is killed, but the fact that police were publicly announcing that a child is often killed by somebody they know made the family feel uneasy and targeted. In 1991, Marilyn had been convicted of driving under the influence, but other than that, she had a clean record. Neighbours, friends and family all corroborated that Marilyn was a fantastic mother who doted on her children. Furthermore, the Georgia Department of Family and Children's Services confirmed that they had never received any complaints of abuse or neglect regarding Lacey or Levi. As the family were still being investigated, police widened their search and conducted checkpoints around the area that Levi's bike was found. Tire marks were discovered at the crime scene and investigators were keen to discover what make of car they could have came from. Additionally, they began to question people living in the area that Levi's bike was found, as well as the area surrounding Dawson Forest Wildlife Management Area, where his body was found. They were attempting to find any potential witnesses or anybody that saw anything out of the ordinary on the day Levi disappeared. Levi's bike was forensically examined and it was found that no fingerprints were on it, not even Levi's. This led to the assumption that the bike had been wiped clean. A tip line was implemented and a $5,000 reward was offered to anybody with any information that could lead to the arrest of the killer. This reward fund would substantially increase over the forthcoming months. Before the month of October was over, Milton handed himself in to Forsyth County Police. He was questioned by authorities for more than two hours before being booked into Forsyth County Jail. The victim of the burglary charge objected to Milton being released from jail on bond to await his court hearing, which was scheduled for the 10th of December. One of the theories that investigators were considering in regards to Milton was that possibly somebody who knew Milton shot Levi as revenge. However, they announced that after questioning Milton, they denounced him as a suspect in his son's murder. Milton was eventually released on bond on the 11th of November. Jim Holman, a Georgia Bureau of Investigation special agent, announced on the 6th of November that they were now searching for two men they would like to question, adding that these men were regarded as witnesses and not suspects. Composite sketches of the two men were drawn up from witness descriptions. The first man had been spotted walking down Little Mill Road at approximately 6.30pm on the day that Levi disappeared. He was described as being a Caucasian male in his late 50s. He had a scruffy grey beard and was wearing a blue baseball cap and walking with his face pointed towards the ground. 
The second man was seen in Dawson Forest Wildlife Management Area on the day that Levi disappeared. He was described as a Caucasian male between 45 to 55 years old. He was clean-shaven with grey hair and was relatively tall, standing at around 6 feet. He was spotted driving a 1980 to 1985 blue pickup truck Toyota with a white camper shell on top. We have one sketch of, a, of an individual in Dawson Forest that looked out of place and looked suspicious. And then as far as the Forsyth County scene, there was a gentleman in the area who was going door to door. Do you think if someone correctly identified one of those sketches that that perhaps could unlock this mystery? It could be the key. Holman urged anybody who may have seen the men to come forward. Over 500 leads have been chased up with over 20 lie detector tests being administered to witnesses and potential suspects, but by Christmas time the tips had dried up. Nobody had come forward to identify the two witnesses and no other suspects or witnesses came to light. Marilyn and her mother, Janice Hamby, tearfully pleaded on national television for anybody with any information to please come forward. Investigators began to question as to whether Levi had possibly willingly abandoned his bike and climbed into the killer's car, but Marilyn didn't consider this theory. She had warned both Levi and Lacey about stranger danger numerous times and knew that her son would never get into a stranger's car. Meanwhile, Forsyth County was rocked by another gruesome murder. On the 28th of December, the body of a Caucasian male was discovered in Hopewell Church Cemetery. The body had been decapitated and dismembered before being set on fire. The body was later identified as 39-year-old Ronnie Davis from Dunwoody and as it transpired, he had got into an altercation with Michael Lejeune over unpaid drug debt. Michael had shot Ronnie in the head before dismembering and decapitating him in his bathtub. After being found guilty of the shocking slaying, Michael was sentenced to life imprisonment. Two brutal murders in the space of just a few months was completely unheard of in the peaceful suburbs of Forsyth County and while residents felt relieved that the murder of Ronnie was solved with a killer behind bars, the constant reminder that a child killer was on the loose made them feel unsettled and fearful. As the one-year anniversary of Levi's murder passed, it still remained unsolved and the reward fund was now up to $16,500. Every lead had been followed up and now investigators and Levi's family were at a standstill. However, they did announce that no immediate family members were considered suspects. Investigators still theorised that Levi had willingly gone with his killer. As there was no sign of a struggle where Levi's bike was found, another theory was that the killer may have pointed a gun at him and threatened to shoot if he didn't get into the car. Eventually, with no more leads to go on, the case was put back on the shelf, much to the dismay of Levi's family. Then in 2000, it was announced that a special task force was being reassigned to the case after Levi's family produced a petition with over 2,000 signatures urging Forsyth Sheriff Denny Hendricks to reopen the investigation. 
It was also announced that a $125,000 reward was now up for grabs for whoever could provide police with any information that could lead to an arrest. Both Forsyth and Dawson County Sheriffs would be working alongside one another in the hopes that through cooperation, the case could finally be solved. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. An office was set up in downtown Cumming and a new tip line was implemented. Within a year, however, Forsyth County News would publish an article reporting that the task force investigating Levi's murder was now disbanded, adding that what happened in those nine months that they were investigating the case remains a mystery. They reported that the Georgia Bureau of Investigations refused to offer assistance in the task force and wanted to continue their own independent investigation. Forsyth Sheriff Denny Hendricks told the Forsyth Herald that he was, quote, disappointed the GBI had refused to cooperate with us, end quote, adding that Dawson County Sheriff Billy Carlisle had completely refused to cooperate. It is assumed that this egregious miscommunication and stubbornness led to the failure of the task force. So many of us, when it comes through the phone, a Levi's call, the signal that a child is in danger. And it is George's own version of Amber Alert, named for this little boy, 11-year-old Levi Frady, who was abducted 20 years ago. If you lived in Atlanta or North Georgia 20 years ago, you need no introduction to Levi. In January of 2002, Georgia established a statewide emergency missing child alert system, which they dubbed Levi's Call, after Levi Frady. When a child is reported missing, authorities would determine whether the case warrants an alert, and if so, then the alert would show up at the bottom of the screen on the television and would be broadcast across the radio, much like the Amber Alert. It would include any information regarding the disappearance and a description of the child that is missing and any suspects. By 2007, Georgia Bureau of Investigation Special Agent Michael Pussy had taken over the still unsolved murder case and admitted that they were still in the same predicament that they were in 1997. Levi's grandmother, Janice, described the past decade as, quote, dragging like a whale with no tire, end quote. In a cruel twist of fate, Levi's family would suffer another tragedy on the 5th of November 2006. John Dorsey Hamby, Levi's grandfather and Marilyn's father, was crossing Georgia State Route 400 in his 1998 Nissan pickup when he was struck by another car. John perished from the injuries he sustained in the accident on the 10th of November in North Fulton Regional Hospital. 
Like Levi, John's funeral was held at the Ingram Funeral Home Chapel. You know, she was the all-American girl. And nobody deserves this to happen to him, but especially somebody like this. She had a bright future, no question. And uh, for it to end this way, just affected a lot of people. I can't imagine her family and friends how it's affected them, but you know, it, just, it, was, it was a long week in January. Blood Mountain is located on the border of Lumpkin County with Union County. It is the highest peak of the Appalachian Trail and the sixth tallest mountain in Georgia, standing at 4,458 feet. The majestic Blood Mountain has a very scenic view, which is why it's so popular with hikers. Meredith Hope Emerson was 24 years old and she loved the outdoors, so naturally, she was drawn to the beauty of Blood Mountain. On New Year's Day of 2008, Meredith set out to hike up Blood Mountain with her beloved black Labrador, Ella. She was 24 years old, a University of Georgia graduate. She was trained in martial arts and she had a black lab puppy named Ella that she adored. And um, she had a lot of friends and she was smart and feisty. And um, on that holiday, she decided to take Ella up to the mountains to go hiking. When she didn't return home that evening, a search ensued. The lead suspect in her disappearance was 61-year-old Gary Hilton, who had been spotted talking to Meredith along the hiking track. On the 4th of January, in Cumming, Georgia, approximately 60 miles away from Blood Mountain, a man spotted Hilton with Meredith's dog. He appeared to be throwing bloody clothes in a rubbish bin. I have this, uh, the person of interest in that missing woman case is at this uh, Chevron gas station on Ashford Dunwoody. Chevron gas station at Ashford Dunwoody? Yeah. You said the man is there? The van is here, the dog is here, the red dog, and I saw the man's face, and I've been watching the news, and I know it's him, I know it's him. He's got a green, uh, long sweatshirt, and he's wearing a hat, and he's emptying all this stuff out of his van. Pillows and a blanket, and it looks like he's got a sleeping bag right now. Taking it all to the trash. Um, it's definitely looking around like he's as guilty as sin. Okay, sir, and the dumpster's at the rear of the location? Yeah, the dumpster's, well, it's kind of right in the front. It's right by the car wash. Okay. I can go take him down if you want. No, sir, stay right there. Okay. Okay, hold on, sir. He looks like he's finishing up. You guys got to hurry. He's got stuff in bags that he's emptied onto the ground, and he's taking load by load to the stir behind the car wash. Another, it's, this is the third backpack we've seen him take to the dumpster. Oh, I'm just shaking. Do you guys, uh, is there somebody in route? Yes, sir. Here we go. Here comes the cops. Yes. yes. Police are there? Yes. When police arrived and apprehended Hilton, he was cleaning his van with bleach. In exchange for prosecutors not to seek the death penalty against him during trial, Gary led investigators to the body of Meredith. The body will be 
approximately 40 yards or 120 feet. It's covered by leaves and uh, brush. The head will be missing. And really one of the most compelling things about it was the fact that, in his own words, she almost kicked his ass, essentially, and overcame him and got away. It's when she lost her footing that he got the upper hand. Because um, he started out with a knife and, um, and the baton. He left the baton behind. Um, but she put up a fight. Then it was a mistake to pick Mary. Because yeah. as you said, uh, she almost went my ass. You said, I, didn't you say, I, I bet that 120 pound girl almost went your ass? She almost went my ass. She damn sure did. You might be questioning where Hilton killed Meredith and disposed of her body. Dawson Forest Wildlife Management Area. Hilton admitted to keeping Meredith alive for four long and tormenting days before bludgeoning her to death and decapitating her. When he led authorities to her body, they were shocked to discover that she had been murdered less than a mile from where Levi had been murdered ten years earlier. While most serial killers tend to stick to a particular modus operandi, including victim type, some don't. Some are opportunists that have no preference to who they kill or how they kill. For example, the so-called tag team from hell, Henry Lee Lucas and Otis Toole. These two men killed a profusion of unlucky people that were just in the wrong place at the wrong time. They killed men, women and children. They strangled, stabbed, shot and bludgeoned. However, they were known to falsely confess to thousands of murders that they did not commit. But nevertheless, a number of murders were positively linked to them. So could Gary Hilton have killed Levi? Or was his choice of murder scene just a pure coincidence? Despite the coincidences, Hilton could never be definitively linked to the murder of Levi. Then in 2013, Tommy Albert Samples of Dawson County was arrested after attempting to stab Marshal Danny Talent of Forsyth County in either a drug-fueled argument or a lover's quarrel. Forsyth County, now one one where's your emergency? I need help. What is your address? 4425 Church Road. I'm sorry, what is it? Chess? Church Road. Church Road? Marshall Talents, quick. Okay, your phone number? I've been hurt. I've been hurt. Tommy Albert Sanford, Junior Junior Jones. He's a special hot man drop man. I'm bleeding bad. Okay. I'm bleeding bad, man. What's your phone number, sir? I don't know. I can't remember. But I'm bleeding bad. Okay. Harry. Your name? Marshall Talents. Do you have a close cross street there? What's that close to? Oh my gosh, ma'am. It's Church Road. Okay, is that over there close to Hopewell Road? Yeah. Okay. Are you able to apply pressure to the wound there? No, yeah, I got stuff hanging out of my gut. I'm going down now on the floor. I can't get up. Help me, Harry. Oh God, help me. During Sample's interrogation, he said that he had tried to hit Talent with the gun that Talent had used to shoot Levi Freire. And you got mad. Where'd you get the knife from? Out of the pink box. 
pink box. I don't remember sending pink box. Where's the pink box at? Sitting beside the bed. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so what happened? You just, did you threaten them? Did you say anything to them? Oh, you just you grabbed the knife out of the pink box and started stabbing. You know where you stabbed him at? Well, he was in the bathroom already and he started fussing at me and yelling at me and okay. trying to harass me. I mean, not trying to harass me, he was harassing me. Yeah. So. Well, how do you mean he was harassing me? Was he just yelling at you? Yeah. Well, was he calling you names? Was he saying things to you? He was saying all kinds of stuff. He's, he's been talking crap about having all kinds of people fired from McDonald's and. Yeah. Or shot me, and I don't know if it was stabbed or shot me, but. Yes, yes, uh, I said you got your arm scratched up further up, too, or just yeah. that. Yeah, you want to scratch it. Let's see some of those scratches. Shot, what would he have shot you with? Shot or stabbed? I don't know. Oh, man, I'm saying the same one they shot, but they got crazy with The officer didn't ask Samples where the gun was and instead questioned Samples about Levi's murder, to which he denied any knowledge. Forsyth County Sheriff's Office also didn't obtain a search warrant to find the gun. They did, however, question Talent about the stabbing. During the questioning, Talent brought up Levi Frady and said he had heard through the grapevine that Samples had accused him of the murder. Police, however, made it clear they weren't concerned about the Levi Frady case. Yeah, Marshall, that's fine. Well, listen, we're all grown-ups here. If there's something going on between y'all, I don't care. But we don't need that coming out if uh, we just don't need that coming out if we make contact with him, start talking to him, and he starts telling us something like that. There ain't no telling why you come out. Yeah, well, we need to. Well, we ain't worried about that. We ain't talking about that. Don't worry about Levi. What we're worried about is what happened to you. Yeah. Well, we're worried about what happened to you. Yeah. That happened. 20 years ago, that's... As a matter of fact, this wasn't the first time that Samples had stabbed Talent. In December of 1997, just a month after Levi was killed, Samples stabbed Talent more than 70 times, resulting in a punctured lung and extensive damage to his right ear. Samples had a plea deal and no questions regarding the motive were ever asked, but later on, a third man who witnessed the stabbing, said that Samples had overheard Talent talking about something which angered him. Now where does Levi fit in with this, you might be asking. According to the author at levifrady.com, Talent's cousin, Jackie Talent, was friends with Marilyn Frady and her boyfriend. 
Over 20 years have passed since Levi was found shot dead and still nobody has been brought to justice. The two men who were spotted in the area on the day that he was reported missing never came forward to identify themselves and were never identified by the public. These two men could be the key to cracking this case. Investigators are still as baffled as they were on day one as to the possible motive behind this murder. Had Levi willingly got into the car of his killer or was he forced at gunpoint? While there have been various theories as to why Levi was killed, the true motivation is a mystery, along with the identity of the person who killed him. If you have any information about the murder of Levi Frady, please call the GBI tip line at 1-800-597-8477. Well guys, that is it for another episode of Morbidology. As always, thank you so, so much for listening. I'd like to give a massive thank you to our Patreons, Amanda, Case Remains, Catalia, Mark, Silver 9mm, Spencer, Wen, Autumn, Breck, Alexis and Kieran. The support really does go a long way in helping to cover the costs of hosting, production, researching and all that important stuff. So if you're interested in helping us out as well as early release articles and episodes, ad-free episodes and information about any upcoming true crime books that I'm going to be writing, check us out on Patreon. I'd also like to give a massive thank you to everybody that has taken the time to leave us a kind review on Apple. We really do appreciate the support guys. As always, make sure you check us out at morbidology.com for more information about this episode and to read our true crime articles. Until next time guys, take care of yourselves and have an amazing week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.